Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. was the night before the combine and all through the house not a mock drafter was sleeping not even a spouse to the big boards were hung on the office with care and hopes that lucas van ness would still be there hello chiefs kingdom and welcome back to episode numero dos of each season i am your host rocky mcganya joined by my compadre in part in crime price carter we are happy to be here today we are going to bring you all the all the most relevant draft coverage that's happened this week and what to look forward for in the combine. Um, and also we are very, very, very blessed today to have one of the brightest minds in film breakdown and in cheese coverage, our own AP fellow, fellow homeboy, Nate Christensen on the, on the podcast with us today. Welcome Nate. Oh, thanks for having me on. That was too many kind words. I would disagree with like 90% of what you said, but I'm glad to be on. I'm, you know, it's fun during the chief season, but it's a lot of work. And then you kind of, you get to take a few days off and now it's the off season time. And now I'm just basically using my free time to catch up on like six months of college football. It's, it's fun. Hey, just, you know, just be thankful that the chiefs carried us this far, as far as like where, the, where we're talking about actual chiefs games and just be thankful we're not breaking down like training camp videos and shorts because that's coming. It's coming way too soon, <laughs> and I'm not ready for it because like we're gonna be sitting here talking ourselves into some UDFA, and they're gonna be an impact player on the roster. So pray for these, <laughs> you know, be thankful for these days. Okay, that's my my least favorite time yeah. of the year, so I, I'm ready for that, or not, yeah. not for that, I guess. You know what you guys are, are going to be writing about, right? You're going to be writing about why John Ross is going to be healthy <laughs> for the Chiefs and why he's going to go for over 600 yards receiving in 2023. The Chiefs have too many uh, wide receivers that start with Jay Ross that are like injury prone and have, have had issues in the past. So we'll see. It'll be a Ross off. Let's have a Ross off. See, like, yeah. which, which one... <laughs> I, I cannot believe the amount of tweets that I make that, like, I'll, you know, take a couple wide receivers in a mock draft or something. People are like, you know, they have Justin Ross, right? And I was like, you know, Justin Ross was a UDFA for a reason, right? I mean, obviously, the we, we know the story there in the background, but there's a lot of reasons to be excited about him. But like I said, I, I use the phrase, Justin Ross is like finding a $20 bill on the ground. Never expect it, always welcome it. If you're <laughs> counting on Justin Ross in the year 2023, your your philosophy's uh, flawed. I think we also just coined a new term. It's a real Ross off, like yeah. <laughs> a wide receiver that you have a lot of hope for. That's not going to do anything. It's just going <laughs> to with all the Rosses we got on this uh, roster. It's just going to be a big circle Ross. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, let's get back to the task at hand here, boys. Um, so let's uh, we're going to break down a little bit of Chiefs news this week. Uh, we'll start off with the uh, Eric Bieniemy presser. Eric Bieniemy you know, was introduced over in Washington as the commander's offensive coordinator. And uh, there was a former player 
by the name of Shady McCoy, who said some shady words about our uh, former offensive coordinator. And in return, some other former players had some some choice words for old LaShawn McCoy. Uh, what do you, what, what's your guys' take on that? I mean, for me, here's the thing. You can't say that what LaShawn McCoy has to say means absolutely nothing. He, you know, he's a successful player in this league. He's done a lot. But at the end of the day, what the story he's telling doesn't really match anyone else's story. And also, it lines right up with the point in his career where he realized he didn't have anything left. When he came to Kansas City, a lot of people looked at that as like, oh gosh, the rich get richer, the Chiefs are getting this weapon. Because he still had some pretty good years in Buffalo right before then. And he was a big part of the Chiefs' success early in the year. I mean, he was their lead back, and then very quickly fell out of favor and never got back in. And then his year in Tampa, I think he had like 13 carries, right? And he got two rings out of back-to-back years with Kansas City and Tampa. But it just doesn't add up with what the rest of the players are saying. There's reasons to doubt what EB's contributions were to the team. Um, You know, all those things have been well-documented, but I don't think EB the person is the type of – he seems like a player's coach. I I think he keeps players accountable, and I think that probably bothered EB. But to me, the other thing that's very telling is it's not just players who were with EB when they were winning championships, right? There's always this question about clubhouses and locker rooms. Does winning build culture, or does culture build winning? The – some of the players that have come out and supported EB are players like Spencer Ware, Shirkandrick West, Jamal Charles, guys who played on the Chiefs when they weren't this Super Bowl roster. Yes, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill have come out and supported him, but it's also those guys. You know, it's also players that, you know, were on the roster for a single year. Um, who was that developmental tackle that they thought about that was a defensive player? They switched? He came from Tennessee. His dad was like a GM for the Raiders. I can't remember uh, his name, but... Uh, McKenzie. Yeah. Uh, Khalil. McKenzie. Khalil yeah, McKenzie. There McKenzie. you go. Yeah. yeah. Khalil McKenzie's out there tweeting about Eric Bieniemy. you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I take that all with a grain of salt. I'd say that EB's a little bit sour grapes, or not EB, McCoy's a little sour grapes. I'm sure what he's saying has some merit. There's enough smoke for there to be a fire about something with Bieniemy. But overall, I think I think he's a little, a little upset that he got benched. Yeah, it stinks for me because I actually like one of my favorite players, like non-Chiefs players of all time, is LaShawn McCoy. I absolutely loved watching LaShawn McCoy with the Eagles and those days with the Bills too. But I agree with most of those points. Um, you never, I, I don't know what I, who am I to say that I know more than LaShawn McCoy by Eric Bieniemy? But when everybody else comes out and mentions all of EB's contributions over the years, and you know all the headliners, the stars, versus the one guy who really was only there for one season and even then only made an impact for like five weeks. I'm going to take the, you know, the words of everyone that's been in the building for the most part. So it, you know, I, I wish nothing but the best for Eric Bannemi. I think he's actually going to do well in Washington. I actually think that's a better fit for him than people think. So um, thanks for everything EB. I'm glad you got a couple rings and now, you know, the next step is getting a head coaching job and uh, I really hope he gets that. Oh, hundred percent. And I think that you, Hit the nail on the head. I do actually think that Washington is a pretty good landing spot. And mm. I think that him and Ron Rivera will work really well together. Um, my only issue really with what Shady had to say is that if you go on his Twitter bio, he has no problem flexing as a two-time Super Bowl champ when he didn't take a single carry in either one of those Super Bowls. And so you're going to flex and say that you're a Super Bowl champ, but you're, then you're going to disparage the coach that help you get there. And so that's my only problem. If you're going to claim the Super Bowl, then claim the team and the coaching staff that got you that Super Bowl. You know, and so, I mean, that's that's my that's my biggest thing with it. But 
We're not. This isn't the Sean McCoy podcast. This isn't an EB podcast. This is Veach season where we're looking at the draft today, and so we're going to move on. There was actually kind of a slew of cuts around the league this week where some teams moved on from some players. You know, especially the Tennessee Titans, who really seem to be going blow it up full rebuild mode they got it they're cutting bad contracts and they're trying to set themselves up to move forward and so some of the guys that came on the that came on the market this past week were guys like taylor luan who may look like he seems like he may be leaning more towards retirement than coming back with with his injury history but also guys like robert woods randy bullock zach cunningham Al Quadin Muhammad, who was a guy I was actually kind of high on last season when he came when he became a free agent after Indianapolis and went to the Bears. Um, Jordan Kunizic, is that how you pronounce his last name? Kunizic, he was released as well. And then Bobby Wagner, um, like I mentioned, the linebacker for the Rams. Um, all right, boys, any of those names? Would you kick the tires on them? Anybody you'd be interested in bringing in on this Chiefs roster? The only one that I would even consider would probably be Robert Robert Woods on a pretty low-value deal. You know, we're talking close to veteran minimum. And with Robert Woods, one of the things I think is a very underrated skill that he has is he plays a terrific wide receiver three, wide receiver four role. That's not easy to do. There are some players that, you know, it's kind of like a relief pitcher. You know, you got to be able to sit there for eight innings and all of a sudden come up in the biggest moment of the game and get the, you know, four, five, six hitter out. Being a wide receiver three or four, there's a lot of blocking involved. There's a lot of rules involved. And then when your number's called, you got to be ready to go. Robert Woods has done that consistently over his time in L.A. Um, he was pretty successful in that role. Um, you know, we saw the Rams really struggle without Robert Woods until Odell Beckham Jr. kind of transitioned to his role. Um, how much he has left in the tank is tough to tell with what the Titans threw out there at quarterback this year. He'd be the only one that I'd consider. You know, a lot of people, Bobby Wagner's, Wagner still played at a great level, but the Chiefs just have so much invested in the linebacker position. Do I think that Bobby Wagner can make the Chiefs' defense better? Probably. But the cost that it would take, I don't think that that's something they need to get involved in because he's still a good player with a big name. That just screams like, I mean, I, I would wager good money that Bobby Wagner is the Philadelphia Eagle next year. They had subpar linebacker play. That's a Super Bowl roster. He's played in the NFC his whole career. Not that that really matters, but that just screams Eagles to me. I agree about Robert Woods. Um, and you can, Price kind of mentioned it. Like, he is more of a wide receiver three in general. In Tennessee, like, I don't think Robert Woods looked good last year. I don't think he looked, like, fast or athletic. But he was also trying to be their wide receiver one in an offense that was just kind of a mess overall. So it wasn't a great fit kind of from the start. Um, if you were going to sign Robert Woods as like a Juju replacement, if Juju is too expensive, I actually think that's not a bad option. Um, I don't think he's as good as Juju at this stage of his career, but as like a veteran kind of placeholder and as someone that like, hey, if maybe Sky Moore can't take on the full workload of Juju Smith-Schuster this year, if we need to draft a rookie to come in and develop, Robert Woods can at least be that placeholder, even if it's for just half a season until Sky Moore or someone else steps into it. That would be the best role. And I, I actually think he's like fits a lot of what Juju does well. A little bit different like body types and stuff, but in terms of like how they play, I would say they're pretty similar. Yeah, and I think that one of the things Juju was a chain mover, which is what the Chiefs were missing coming into this year. And it's something that they don't have right now with Juju currently set to become a free agent. Uh, Robert Woods wasn't horrible. He had 600 yards receiving, mm -hmm. which which would have been, what, number three on the Chiefs this year, probably, in receiving yards. Um, and so I think that he's, he's that guy who's going to be able to get you those receptions between 
five to 11 yards. He's going to be able to get them pretty consistently. Um, he's a savvy route runner. He's not very athletic. He's a lot like Jarvis Landry probably is right mm-hmm. now at this stage of his career. They're both probably very similar players. Is there value there? Yes. At, at the right price, right? Like you don't, you're not going to sign Robert Woods to a multi-year deal, but on like a one year, you want to say one year, $6 million for Robert Woods. I, I would be on board with something like that. Uh, the other guy that I would kick the tires on maybe is Al-Qadid Muhammad. He's only, I think 26 or 27. Um, he hasn't had a lot of production as a pass rusher, except for that one contract year in Indianapolis. He had six sacks, which isn't lighting the world on fire, but it's a rotational pass rusher that you can get some production out of. But then he went to the Bears last year and was just horrible. Uh, he had one sack all year, and they they decided to move on from him and cut him. Um, so, but he's a guy that I would I wouldn't try to go out and like court or romance or sign. But mm-hmm. you know, if you want to get him a camp invite and see if he can play his way onto the roster, then. I think that there's value there with him. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, uh, he's definitely like he fits the prototype of what we like. Well, I mean, it's size, power, length. Uh, Chris Ballard, former Colts or former Chiefs uh, director of player personnel, I think. So there's some connection there. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the Chiefs sign him on their camp roster and see if he can make the roster. No, 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 for sure, for sure. Okay, so. We've handled all the other business at hand. Let's get down to the meat and potatoes, boys. Let's just, let's talk what everybody's been wanting to hear. They want to know the combine's getting ready to start. The draft is coming up. Okay, who are the guys I need to have a lookout for? Not even necessarily the guys that that the Chiefs might have a shot at. We're going to talk about that plenty. But who's the cream of the crop at some of the more premier positions in this draft? And so what we're going to do today is we're going to we're going to break down our top five at offensive tackle edge rusher and wide receiver and we're each going to give our top five at these positions and then kind of go from there and kind of argue a little bit about about our guys and why we have them ranked that way and kind of give you our reason and our reason and rationale um and so i'll i'll start off the the offensive tackle conversation um for me at number one on offensive tackle i got paris johnson i got paris johnson jr i think that he's the guy that has size length the athleticism um, he's, he, he's, he has plenty of reps under his belt at left tackle. I think he's the only guy, um, outside of Broderick Jones that you could plug in at left tackle today. And he could probably start meaningful reps in the NFL. And Broderick Jones is who I have as my number two guy. And that's just because I really like his athleticism. But the problem with Broderick Jones is he does struggle with power sometimes and he, he gets popped back and he has to do some recovery. And so there is some question marks there. Um, so I got Paris Johnson Jr., number one at offensive tackle. I got Broderick Jones, number two. Number three, I got Peter Skaronsky. And it's the it's it's kind of been the same story with Peter Skaronsky with anybody who knocks him down a little bit, is that you just don't know about his arm length, right? Mm-hmm. And we know with Andy Reid and Brett Veach, if, if the arms aren't at least, uh, you know, 33 and a half inches or that 34-inch mark, they're not going to even touch him at tackle. Um argue it right wrong whatever you want there is some some logic to it when you have miles garrett coming at you off the edge when he looks like a freaking octopus with his huge tentacle arms trying to you got to try to keep him out of your body you know um and so so i got peter not peter skronsky down to number three even though technically speaking he might be the most refined most polished um you know pass protector in the entire draft you know he's a guy who if his arms were longer, you could you would project him to be a pro bowler, I think. I think he's technically speaking, he's very talented. Um, number three, I got Darnell Wright just because I really like his size. Um, I've 
I, I, I kind of this year when I've been watching edge prospects, I've been trying to watch as many of the edge prospects against the Tennessee line as possible because I really like the Tennessee offensive line. I think that they develop good offensive linemen so that if an edge prospect has a good game against Tennessee, I kind of believe the production a little bit, right? And so that being said, I've seen a lot of top flight edge rushers go against Arnell Wright and his size just kind of swallows them up. He, he like whatever they try, if they try to power rush him, he, he, it's almost like he's like flubber. He just absorbs that power rush and like doesn't budge a lot of times. Now there's some athleticism that he needs to get right. Um, they moved him from left tackle back to right tackle this year, which was his natural position. And so, you know, he didn't give up a single sack this year at right tackle. And so I think that, that he's a guy that you could almost plug and play at that right tackle position if the Chiefs decide that they do want to move on from Andrew Wiley. And that's probably the first offensive lineman I've mentioned at this point that might be in that range for the Chiefs that they could draft him. Um, and then number five, I got Dewan Jones. And Dewan Jones is a guy who's just huge, right? He, we saw him at the Senior Bowl, and he was he – he, he literally showed up for one day, dominated uh, – just didn't let anybody buy him just just totally kicked butt and then said peace out i'm gone i'm not even going to play in the game and disappeared and went home right and so dewan jones looked more athletic than i expected him to be he, he looked a lot like orlando brown jr but more athletic to me he had a little bit faster on the kick step back um didn't let people did, wasn't playing catch up with the speed rush as much as I expected him to. And so he really kind of impressed me and I wasn't expecting much out of him. So maybe that's why I bumped him up so high is that he, 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 he surprised me and how well he performed in the one-on-ones at the senior bowl. Um, so that's my top five offensive linemen. Um, Price, give me what you got and tell me why I'm wrong or why I'm right. Well, I mean, I think I think one thing that you're looking at here, just kind of looking at your top five as compared to mine, we don't have a lot of variants. So I think probably the biggest outlier between yours and mine is I'm a lot higher on Peter Skronsky than you are. I think part of the reason why I'm so high on Skronsky is because when I look at offensive line play, I want to look at the things that are repeatable and the things that are not as teachable. Um, anytime I see a player with strength, play strength is one of the concerns. I consider that kind of a win because I think, you know, getting players in an NFL locker room on an NFL training plan and getting them where they're not worried about NIL and, um, you know, classes and those type of things, I think that that's a major strength of any NFL locker room, especially the Chiefs. Um, when I look at Skaronsky, the technician that he is, and also the position versatility, he has such a high floor that I just feel like any NFL team, like if you took him and he ended up starting at center for you and you're a team picking at 13 or 21 or wherever he ends up going, I don't think you're going to regret it. And I do think that he has the position versatility to play all five positions. The arm length is a concern, but, uh, you know, there's been a lot of comparisons between him and, Math- and Rashawn Slater, who also came from the same school, played the same position. When you look at where Skronsky falls short, it's things that, you know, a lot of teams do value arm length, but there's been a lot of good players who have, you know, failed at that and still been good players. I know that this is, you know, a Chiefs-centric podcast, but when I look at him and look at kind of what his profile is, it reminds me of a lot of what Mitchell Schwartz used to do. Mitchell Schwartz was never the strongest player. Mitchell Schwartz was never the most aggressive player. He was never the most athletic, but he was the smartest player. And he just was able to study and, you know, counter every move that a edge rusher had on him now with all that being said 
Paris Johnson is kind of like a prototype of the position. He's got insane wingspan, incredibly strong. Um, he's got great experience. The only thing that you're going to talk about with him is just not a ton of experience at left tackle. This was his one season playing left tackle. He played guard a previous season before. But again, position versatility. Um, the ones, the the two that I really have a hard time kind of deciding is between Broderick Jones and Dewan Jones. And yes, part of it is the names, right? But um, you know, I think looking at Broderick Jones. The, you know, the Orlando Brown comparison really sticks out there. Uh, I just I just wonder about with him, how much is he going to be a complement to what the Chiefs do? Um, he's a player that I, I could see being avail- available to them at 31. As far as how he fits in, you know, I love his mentality and how it would play next to Trey Smith if he's playing on the right side of the line. I, and one thing that I like about him, too, is that I like the ability of him to transition to left tackle if needed. So I've got Skaronsky, Johnson, Broderick Jones, Dewan Jones. And then I went a little bit different at number five. I've got Jalen Duncan at top five um, as my fifth player. To me, he just matches so much of what the Chiefs do well. The things that when I read through Jalen Duncan's profile, I I get a lot of shades of Eric Fisher as far as like the athleticism, the strength in um, pass blocking. Now, the level of competition at Maryland, not quite as much as what, you know, Fisher was facing at Michigan State, I believe is where he went, correct? Am I dreaming that? No, Central Michigan. Central Michigan, okay. Whatever. Yeah. A directional Michigan. Excuse <laughs> me. Um, but, you know, I I, I look at Jalen Duncan and the athleticism, the experience he has at the position, I think that he's going to test as one of the better, most athletic tackles that they have uh, this year. I expect him to have a really great raw athletic score. That just screams Chiefs to me. And if they can get that guy at pick 31 or later, I love that for them. And, you know, I think that very – like – Ideal tackle situation this year for me. You bring back Orlando Brown on the tag. You draft Jalen Duncan. You see if you can bring someone in to compete with Jalen Duncan at right tackle. You give him the redshirt year at right tackle and then move him over the next year. I completely think that that's possible. Huge Jalen Duncan fan. He's a guy that I like. Um, The person that I'm not as high as you are is Darnell Wright. I'm not sure that he's a great scheme fit. I think that he's... Because of the, his size and his build, I think that he kind of profiles more out as a run-first type of tackle, and I think that the Chiefs have a lot of that. I, I don't know that I want to see an offensive line next year with Orlando Brown on the left side and Darnell Wright on the right side. I just feel like that makes them pretty exposed to speed rush, something that they face quite a bit in this division, and it's not going to get any better, right? You know, Von Miller will come back for the Buffalo Bills. There's still a lot of great pass rushers in the AFC, Max Crosby, etc. So, um that would be my only complaint, but overall, I, to me, the way that I look at this, there are four tackles that are definitive day one guy or uh, round one guys, and then it starts getting to your Anton Harrison, Ma- uh, Matthew Bergeron, Jalen Duncan. Um, you know, there's shades of Cody Mock in there sometimes. I, I don't think he's a tackle, but there's four definitive day one round one guys, and then you can kind of start picking your favorite flavor. And for me, Jalen Duncan's got that skill set that just makes a lot of sense for the Chiefs. I do find a little, a little, a pushback a little bit on the Darnell Wright being a run first tackle in the sense that they played in a very proficient passing offense with Hendon Hook at quarterback and the deep ball to, to, you know, to um, Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman, which are both probably going to be top three draft picks at the wide receiver position this year. Um, but, you know, that's why we're here to list our opinions and to defend them. And to talk and talk them through, and so, but that would be my only pushback on the on the Darnell Wright. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, 
there, you know, that offense was, you know, one of the best offenses in college football this year. Um, you know, I, I think still probably more right tackle for him than left tackle. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe your plan is to extend Orlando Brown and to keep Darnell right there. And he's your, he's your right tackle guy. To me, the, the problem with that scenario is, and, you know, going back, like Hennon Hooker was a very mobile quarterback as well. Right. So there was that element of their game that did play a part in it. The threat of the run, we've seen what that can do. He's not Lamar Jackson level mobile, but it does it does help the tackles, you know, coming from Orlando Brown from that system as well. I just I'm not sure that I want the ceiling for the Chiefs pass tack or you know passing game with tackles to be Orlando Brown on the left side and Darnell Wright on the right side. Um, but you know we're we're splitting hairs here. I'm not going to come home and like punch my pillow if Darnell Wright's you know the call at number 31 for the Chiefs. Yep, yep, fair enough, fair enough. Um, all right, well, so. All right, Nate, hit us with your offensive tackles. Who you got, man? Yeah, um, just overall thoughts on the tackle class. It's just not that good. Like, I, I was kind of looking at some of the history today. It's probably the weakest since, like, 2019. Like, I don't think there's even anyone as talented as, like, Tristan Wirfs in this class. And he was, like, the fifth ta- or fourth tackle taken in, like, 2020. Uh, but overall, my board, I have Peter Skronsky won the tackle from Northwestern. I I honestly wouldn't have him as high versus some of the tackle past few drafts. I do have more questions about him, but he's just, I just, when I watch him, he's just the best tackle. I think he combines all the traits. Um, I am a stickler for length for the most part, but um, with Skrunsky, I think he's going to be able to like manage that and overcome that. Everything else is so clean with him. Uh, so to me, like, I don't really have huge concerns about that, but still, I don't, I'm not like super high on him either. I would not take him in the top 15 if I was one of those teams in the top 15. I don't think I would take him there. Number two, I have Paris Johnson Jr. And kind of the same thing as Gorensky. I gave Paris Johnson a good grade, but I still wasn't like uber impressed with him. He's probably the tackle with like all, like a little bit of everything, I would say. Like he has good length, good mobility, good athleticism, but like nothing really stands out. Um, I didn't love him as a run blocker. I'm kind of worried about his functional strength going forward, but he's the player with a lot of experience and like a true passing offense like Ohio State. So he's probably the one guy day one that will be able to handle one-on-one pass protection compared to everyone else in this class because college football just doesn't have that often. Three, I have Anton Harrison, the offensive tackle from Oklahoma. Um, I just really enjoyed watching him. I might be a little higher on him, but like, He's a very, very good run blocker, good mover in space, like good patience. Um, I, I think he kind of, you know, very powerful, good length. Um, I think he'd actually make a lot of sense for Kansas City. Uh, probably a left tackle mainly, but he uh, comes from that Oklahoma scheme. So similar to Orlando Brown. So if there is something that happens with Orlando Brown, I think Anton Harrison makes sense. Um, I really enjoyed his film. I actually think he's quite good. I need to watch it a little bit more before I finalize it, but I've enjoyed what I've seen out of him so far. Four, I have Darnell Wright. Um, there's so much natural talent out there. I mean, he is so explosive. How he gets out of the stance is so well. And yes, there are some like technical errors right now, but like the just movement skills are just outstanding. And while like there are things he needs to clean up that do concern me, he handled Will Anderson, he handled Brenton Cox, Harold Parkins, BJ Ojolari. He handled them all pretty well. So coming from his background as like a huge recruit coming out, and then you know kind of struggling, but then finding some of those ways last year, if you just get him in a system with a good offensive line coach, I think he's going to thrive because there's just so much talent there. And then fifth, I also have Jalen Duncan. Um, I think he's probably the best athlete at offensive tackle in this class, at least from what I've seen so far. 
at least also if you combine like size and like explosiveness, I think he brings like all the traits. Um, I do think he needs a year personally. I don't know if I would feel comfortable starting him year one, but I do like how he has right and left tackle experience. So maybe you are able to find him on one side and he can go to the other side next year. Personally, I would like to have him have a year off, just kind of learn, uh, you know, technique and stuff like that. It's nothing like functionally with his body that concerns me. And that's always like the big thing with me for offensive tackles is like, okay, we can fix technique. We can fix those certain things with the offensive line coach. Is there specific traits that like you're not explosive out of the stance, you're stiff in your hips, you don't take on power well. Those things concern me more. And Jalen Duncan, I'm not concerned about any of those things. So for me, I have probably a little bit higher. Um, I don't know if I'd take him around one, but I I did enjoy Jalen Duncan. You know, I, I think I 100% agree with you about him possibly being one of the better athletes at, mm-hmm. at the tackle position in this draft. He does move very well for his size. Um, he, he's probably my number six guy, um, if I'm being honest. Um, with with the uh, Anton Harrison one, the only thing that – my only question about him is he does seem to struggle with taking on power sometimes. Mm-hmm. It seems like he'll get caught off guard um, with a bull rush uh, from time to time. Um, I do need to watch more on him, though. But from from what I have watched, I've seen him get get knocked back pretty pretty hard with a bull rush right off the bat. But that being said, he's got the functional strength. He's got the size, like you said. He has the ability to anchor and stop it. It's mm-hmm. I think it's more of more of just being ready faster, being faster, you know, to get into position and not getting not getting caught off guard. <clears throat> I was going to ask you guys. Um, Matthew Bergeron is a name that's come up a lot lately. Um, I think was it Daniel Jeremiah or I'm trying to remember someone had him to the Chiefs at 31 that he's creeped up into the first round. Um, I've not got a chance to look at him a whole lot. He's out of Syracuse. He was a senior bowl guy as well. Have either of you guys got a chance to look at him yet? He's he's a name that I've heard quietly rising up the boards. I have not. Have you, Rocky? Yeah. So I've watched a little bit of him, and you know he he's he plays on the left side instead of the right side, so he would be a left tackle. Um, but he is kind of like a poor man starting out right in a lot of ways. He's kind of similarly built, I think, um, has good power profile, uh, moves decently for his position, not overly athletic. Don't see him get beat a lot really badly. He's he's pretty solid in that aspect. I think that he's a guy that, that's, that will be able to handle um, NFL-level pass rushers. He may get beat pretty bad on a couple of reps early on, just on a second move and and not really having the fastest reaction to the second move. Um, but overall, he's a prospect that, that I do like a lot. And that, like you said, like he's not in my top five offensive tackles, but if the Chiefs took him at 31, I guess, but or at 64 or 62 or wherever they're at now, um, I wouldn't be punching my pillow over it either, Bryce. Like I wouldn't be upset that the Chiefs end up with Matthew Bergeron on their offensive line. Yeah, I think, you know, compared to how the tackle class kind of played out for them in 2020, looking back in hindsight, there were some, you know, Darius Saw has turned out to be a pretty good player. But th- this class, it-, it feels like it plays to the Chiefs pretty well here. I-, I think that you can walk away with a tackle on day two if you're aggressive. I don't know about sitting around until 63 or whatever their second round pick is. I don't know about 63, but it, it feels like there's a great crop of day two guys that all have a little bit of work that need to be done, but but you can come away with a, a tackle starter. Um, and, and I don't think that that was quite that way for the Chiefs. It kind of felt like a cliff in 2020's draft, mm-hmm. where it's like, you're either getting these guys or there's nothing. 
So I think that this overall is a, is a strong class for what the Chiefs need. And the good news is, is that you have the franchise there, the franchise tag there. They can figure out right tackle. I'm not concerned about it. There are enough players at the Chiefs' disposal that they can figure that out. I, I, I don't think the situation is dire enough that you're like, okay, we have to move up and go get whoever. No, I agree. I agree there. And I think that um, that at the worst-case scenario, if you do take one of these guys and maybe they don't start out as a top starting five – you're like with a guy like Bergeron or Jalen Duncan, their floor is kind of that Nick Allegretti replacement swing tackle, you know, for that, uh, for that third tackle, and which there's value to have that guy. It's not what we need at the moment, but there is value in having that guy on your roster, especially if Darian Kennard turns out not to be that guy, which I kind of think that that was the plan this next year for him to be that guy. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey. Instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking from the provocative to the technical we're offering insights you won't want to miss so tune in to the future of work a prop g pod special sponsored by canva you can find it on the prop g pod wherever you get your podcasts moving on let's talk edges all right so uh my my top five edges I got right off the bat, I got Will Anderson Jr. I know Daniel Jeremiah has has somebody else going other than Will Anderson Jr. as the first defensive, uh, as the first edge off of the board. Any, hear me when I say this, Chiefs Kingdom, any GM that does not take Will Anderson Jr. as the first edge rusher off the board should not be a general manager in the NFL. This guy is the best edge prospect that we've seen in a few years, probably since Miles Garrett. And I'm not afraid to say that this guy had 17 and a half sacks last year. And then on top of that, he backs up a 17 and a half sack season with another 10 sacks this year, uh, playing in the sec. He's playing at the top. He's going because the best, the best offensive lineman in football. And he just produces on the biggest stage. He's, he's got, he's got a pedigree of winning. He was, he was highly recruited coming out. He has size, length he has everything that you want he's 6'4 235 pounds but he has those huge tentacle arms that we talked about previously there's nobody that you should be taking as the first edge rusher in this draft not named will anderson jr 
My second one that I have is Lucas Van Ness. And this is a guy that's really grown on me really, really quickly. I think when I first um, started watching him a little bit, I wasn't too, 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 too impressed by him. And then I went back and I watched some more tape and then it, he popped. He just, I mean, there's nothing this guy can't do. This guy probably has the biggest upside of almost anybody in the draft. I think I am, I am 100% in love with Lucas Van Ness as a prospect. I think that, that he can he can play with speed, he can play with power, he can just get after you. He has that requisite size that Steve Spagnolo wants. He's 6'5, 269 pounds. I mean, he is just a big, mean guy who gets after the quarterback and and plays with electricity. Like that's almost the only way I can say it is that when you watch him on tape, he plays with electricity. Like you can just see the power and the juice and everything he does. Um, number three, I got I got Tuli. Tua Pelotu, the guy who led uh, from a USC, um, he's kind of a tweener between defensive line and edge. Um, he's 6'4", 290. He's a big, big guy. Um, athletic for his size, but because of his size, that athleticism isn't overly athletic, right? Like Chris Jones is extremely athletic for his size, but if you compare Chris Jones's athleticism to the most athletic edge rushers in football, He's not the most athletic edge rusher, but he's probably the most athletic defensive lineman, interior defensive lineman. And so that's kind of how I feel about Thule. Um, when you watch him, his his greatest strength isn't his speed. It isn't his power. He's very cerebral. He he will almost wait when the snap, when the when the, when the ball is snapped, he'll wait almost a beat. Watch the watch where the offensive linemen are going and then find a gap and just shoot between them. Like he almost doesn't have to do a swim move, doesn't have to do a bull rush. Doesn't have to try to arc around the outside half of the time. He'll read the offensive lineman and then he'll just split between them and go after the quarterback and or after the, ru- the the running back. The only knock to his game is that because of his athleticism, when he's playing on the outside, he loses containment in the run game sometimes. If he doesn't get out there and set that edge, he doesn't have the athleticism to pursue from the backside on a play. So that 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 comes back to bite him sometimes. But otherwise, really, really big. Um, on him for the Chiefs, and I would love to see him even at 31 um, necessarily to the Chiefs. Uh, number four is B.J. Ojulari. Um, his brother, Aziz Ojulari, is in the league. Um, not an overly big edge rusher, but big enough, right? He's 6'3", 244, uh, but he's long. He's athletic. He he bends well. He gets after the, He has a full pass rush arsenal. He has everything that you'd want to see out of a pass rusher. Um but the production hasn't fully been there the entire time. So he's still room for him to grow. He's still young. I think he's, he's still only a junior if I'm correct. Yeah. So he's going to be young coming in the league. Um, and, and so he's, he's got a lot of, he's one of those guys where you're, you're drafting on traits there. And then number, number five, I have everybody's darling, the guy that he Tyree Wilson out of Texas tech. Yeah. He's a huge monster of a guy who has all the traits and blah, 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 blah. To me, he looks stiff. He looks stiff on tape. Um, he he can be a monster, but I I I just don't think he's that good of a monster. To, if I'm if I'm being honest, but everybody loves him so much, there must be something that I'm missing there because the production was there this year, and he is playing in a Power Five conference and everything. But Daniel Jeremiah has him going over Will Anderson. Are you drunk, Daniel Jeremiah? I'm sorry, you are one of the biggest names in the mock draft game, but that is insanity to me to have Tyree Wilson going over Will Anderson Jr. Uh, but so I got Tyree Wilson at number five because I'm, I must be missing something, you know, <laughs> and that's, and that's kind of where I'm at with it. What do you got price? 
Well, first, just looking at kind of like what you're talking about with Daniel Jeremiah, you know, we've discussed this a little bit, but it only takes one team, right? It only took one team last year, the Jags, to draft a player that no one saw going at number one, at number one. Uh, different teams value different things. And then you get these, you know, your Daniel Jeremiah's, your Mel Kuyper's, pick your person. These mock drafts that come out, sometimes, you know, people get agitated with, oh, why, why would this happen in a mock draft? Why would this happen? These are just scenarios that we're playing out. You know, these, there are 32 moving parts to every draft this year, 31, if you're doing a first round, right? But there's a lot of different things that are moving pieces that can change. What happens if this team goes up and gets a quarterback? How does that impact the board? What happens if there's one team that just takes a, a player that no one saw going in the first round? You know, if you're a Chiefs fan and you hear Cole Strange called in front of you, you're, you're thrilled, right? Because like no one even had this guy in the first round. That just bumps one more player down to the Chiefs, you know? We've seen a huge rise in players like Anthony Richardson lately. And that's going to impact the draft board as well. Uh, overall, looking at yours, I mean... You know, you're exactly right. There's a lot of people who have a lot of experience doing this job that sit there and tell you that players like Miles Murphy and Tyree Wilson are consensus guys. When I look at Tyree Wilson, I look at, like, the ceiling. A, a player who has all the physical traits and when he's at his highs, looks like he could be that top 10 edge rush type of player. Um, one of the things that kind of shows up with him is... He seems to, like, if he's not winning a rep with his athleticism or whatever, he, he tends to go stagnant. And a big part of his game has been moving inside and outside. I don't necessarily know how well that translates to the next level. When you look at Miles Murphy, it, you, you sit there and you look at, when, you, when, you, when you're breaking down a player, you're sitting there and trying to find out, like, what isn't he doing? What, what, what are the failures? He's done so well and seems to just kind of execute everything so well that it's hard to find anything that sticks out negatively. But it's also hard to find anything that you just will go like, wow, that was that was that was crazy. You know, that was a jump off the page type of play. Um, so both those guys, to me, ultimately, I don't think it's going to matter too much for the Chiefs. I'm not necessarily sure either one of them are going to be in the in the zip code that the Chiefs will be. Obviously, I've got Will Anderson at one. I took Tyree Wilson over uh, Miles Murphy at two. Um, I just think that Tyree Wilson's hires are going to be more high than Miles Murphy. Uh so Miles Murphy is at three. I took Lucas Van Ness at four. I think that, you know, the athleticism with him, he's going to be a, a super versatile player. What you've got with him is just this a super high ceiling. He, you know, technically wasn't a starter at Iowa. I know how that he played starter level reps. But with him, you've got the position flexibility. He's played inside. He's played outside. He's got the bend. I think that he's a player that has a lot of potential left. He's not played football very long in his career either. So he's got a lot of potential there to go, to grow. Um, for me at at five or oh, I listed six. My bad. Um, I've got Nolan Smith next. Uh, I think that when you look at Nolan Smith, I think what he does well with the speed and the bend, him and B.J. Ojolari are both players that I'm not necessarily sure. I understand that their size concerns there, especially with Ojolari. But they both have the traits that I want an edge rusher to have. They've got speed off the edge, they've got bend, and they've got explosiveness. Those are things that, to me, you cannot teach. You know, we, we spent a lot of time talking about that with George Karloftis this year. And at the end of the day, George Karloftis is who he is. He's a great effort pass rusher who has a strong bull rush and, a t you know, occasionally can win with a, with a pass rush move. But these guys, especially Ojulari have those pass rush moves they have a developed repertoire nolan smith i think you know if he probably doesn't get injured this year i think he's probably a little bit further up the board i think the injury might have knocked him down a little bit 
I guess maybe there's concerns against the run. But I feel like for the Chiefs, those guys probably are definitely round one guys because the Chiefs have the the flexibility with their defensive line. I don't worry about them getting overexposed with a single pass rusher in the run game. You know, if if they're in running situations, I don't necessarily think that those two guys are going to kill them. Uh, Yannick Ngakwe is a free agent this year. He's a guy who's just like awful against the run. He wouldn't be a name that I would hate for the Chiefs to bring in because I feel like with the players that they have, you know, they've kicked Chris Jones out to the end. They've got Mike Dana who can play a pretty good solid outside run game or inside. Frank Clark's been strong against the run. I feel good enough that they can cover up those weaknesses as a player and then develop them. And even then, their athleticism has allowed them to make some pop plays when they penetrate a gap for the run. So uh, overall for me, uh, I've got Will Anderson, Tyree Wilson, Miles Murphy, Lucas Van Ness, and Nolan Smith. And then uh, just on the outside looking in, B.J. Ojolari. Got no arguments with any of your, any of the points you're making there. I think that's actually a pretty well-rounded list and pretty well thought out. I was I was going to mention, so your, your Thule pick, I, to me, like when I hear that, I hear a lot of Steve Spagnuolo music, right? Like the outside, the inside, the tweener, like, like that makes a lot of sense. And honestly, when you, he's not quite as big, but when you watch – the concerns about his lateral movement sound a little Tano Passanio to me, right? And that's newly extended New Orleans Saints Tano Passanio to to us. So um, he's a player that makes some sense. I I think honestly, I know that you like him a lot. I don't. I, I sixty three could be an option for him. Like uh, day two, their second round pick if they still have it. I think there's a world that you come away with Thule and the and the second round and still be very happy. I think that Thule today is Tano Passanio entering his third year with the Chiefs. Yeah, that's, def- that's definitely. What I think. Yeah, like Passanio came from a much, much well, uh, much less program, much less development. Right? He's he's a much more polished player for sure. Yeah. All right. What do you, what do you got, Nate? Hit us with it. Yeah. Well, I talk about how I don't love the offensive tackle class. I love this edge class so much. It's like all up and down the board. I like the guys on day one. I like the guys on day two. I like the day three options. Um, start with Will Anderson. He, I, he has everything. Like I don't have much to say. Like he's one of the best I've evaluated. Number two, I have Nolan Smith. Uh, Nolan Smith is my highest non-like Chase Young like type, like top top edge that I've graded in three or four years. I know there's concerns about length. I know there's concerns about size. I I don't care. Like it's it's everything. It's explosiveness. It's speed. It's bend. Um, even though he's not you know the longest guy, he is such a compact, strong athlete. Like, he probably has, like, 1% body fat. Like, that's not real. But, like, if you look at him, he looks like that. Such a smart player. He knows how to kind of work around the fact that he's not very long, which is something that I kind of appreciate. Um, the way he kind of defends the run. Like, you can tell, like, he like he understands what he at, what he can do and what he can't do. So, incredibly high Nolan Smith. Number three, I have Tyree Wilson. I, I want to be careful with this. I'm not saying he's Miles Garrett, but there is, like, similarities in build. In terms of like the very very long, dense, explosive rusher, um, I moved him up a little more after I thought about him more and watched a little bit more. Um, certainly needs some development, but I do understand why NFL teams are kind of enthralled with him because he has like every trait. Number four, I have Lucas Van Ness. I don't know how many more players have more pressure them at the NFL Combine than Lucas Van Ness because if he goes out and kind of grades and performs the way some people think, he might go top five. If he has a very underwhelming combine, it might be day two. Like there is a very large range of Van Ness opinions right now. Um, as an Iowa fan, I kind of you know know a little bit more about Van Ness. Um, the things that show up on film are the overwhelming length, um, the overwhelming power, 
he like seamlessly plays defensive tackle and defensive end. Like he legitimately, you don't lose anything with him at defensive tackle because he's so long and powerful and flexible for a defensive tackle. Like no one can really move him off the ball. Like no center can reach his chest. Yes. He doesn't have anything really besides power right now, but his power and length are going to overwhelm most NFL tackles like immediately. So I think Vanessa is someone that needs a lot of time and needs some really nice coaching. But there are some like the things he's good at right now. He's very good at right now. So that, that kind of leads me to think he's going to improve still. Number five, I'm going to pronounce this name wrong. Probably Felix Inaduki Uzama. Did I say that right? Sure. Okay. Well, last this, year my it's pronounced FAU. Yeah, that's or King Felix. I've heard yeah, it. King Felix. Said. So last year, my favorite guy was Leo Chanel. I I had the highest grade on him of anyone I saw. This year, it's FAU for me. That's like my guy. I just absolutely love watching this guy. He's, you know, yeah, he's a little bit undersized. He probably needs a little more weight. But like, because based off the defense like Kansas State played, he had to play a lot of like four-eye technique or like inside shoulder of the tackle or right up, head up on the tackle, right outside the shoulder, which is something like a 290-pound guy usually does. Not Felix. Like that dude at 255 was stacking blocks. He was destroying things in the backfield, using his power. And the thing that stands out to me is like, yeah, he's not like super explosive, but he's flexible and he's really, really good with like rotational strength. So it lets me know like his grip strength is really good. He's got lower body control, everything you want from like a balance, a strength component. He has. I am like, I pound the table for this guy. I think he's going to be so much better in the NFL than he was in college because he won't just have to do all the dumb stuff that college defenses kind of force him to do. Um, I love him. I would have him a little bit higher. If he goes out and tests at like a ridiculous level that even I don't expect, I think I might push him higher. Right now, I have just because of the questions of his explosiveness and his size, I have to have him a little bit lower, but I'm incredibly high on FAU. I think he's going to be a very good NFL player. I think if FAU tests well, he's going to go up a lot of people's boards because I yes. think he's one of those guys where you really, really want to like him and you really kind of like what you see on tape. But then because of some of the ways, like you mentioned, that K-State used him, it didn't do him any favors on tape either. So there's some times where you're just like, it seems like he kind of disappears from the game for, for, for stretches of the game, but it's because like you said, he's being squared up head on and he's trying to like take on a guy much bigger than him and, and do something that doesn't necessarily reflect the strengths of his skill set. I want to ask you guys a question. So we've, we've talked about several players here and a, a consistent theme that's come up is the versatility on the inside and the outside. How much does that play into an analysis of a player? We know the Chiefs have done this. A player like FAU, one of the big concerns has been, you know, when he's reduced inside, it, it kind of limits his impact in the game. Do you bring a player in like that and say, hey, you're an edge, we're working on you at the edge only, and then we'll worry about kicking the inside? Or, you know, we, Carl Laftus has done this a little bit too. You know, Spagnuolo's always had kind of those NASCAR packages where you've got your four best pass rushers on the field, doesn't matter if they're interior or out, exterior. What's your guys' philosophy on that? For me, it, it doesn't impact my analysis of a player that much. I love hearing the flexibility because I know that means that's kind of one of Spagnuolo's things. But I'm not so concerned that it has to be role-specific. I'm not going to stop myself from drafting a good player just because there's a specific role concern. To me, it's not as valuable in a 4-3 defense because, like, if I'm putting you at, like, let's just say – if I'm putting you at base defensive end and I'm going to kick you in defensive tackle, well, if you're not great rushing from defensive end because you're maybe a longer, like heavier guy, you lose value against the pass. 
So on first and second down, you're not going to bring a lot as a pass rusher if you're playing outside. And if you can't play inside on rundowns, then to me it's like, then what are you? Like, sure, you can align in multiple spots, but you're not really effective. That was kind of the tunnel passing zone you know, to bring him up again. That was his issue is like, sure, he can align inside and outside, but he's not good from either. So it doesn't really matter like what you get out of him. So you have to, for me, it's a like an ancillary trait. It's something I like to have, but like you need to be able to at least win from one spot for me to really care. Because like, who cares if you line up in a bunch of different spots? If you're not winning, it doesn't matter. So you have to have at least like one positive trait from each spot for me to like confidently say you can play inside out. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I generally approach it. Well, and I think for the especially if we're talking about somebody transitioning from outside to inside, kind of like George Karloftis did a little bit this year. Uh, let's just be real for a second. Probably the easiest place to rush from on the Chiefs' defensive line is lined up directly next to Chris Jones, whether it's on the outside or the inside, because he's taking on a, a double team or a triple team every single down. And so if you're lined up on the inside next to Chris Jones, that's one of the easiest places on the line to rush from because all the attention is going to him and you're just going to have to beat your one man right in front of you. So there may be favorites. So yeah, so sure. Kick, kick Carlotta's inside. Sometimes if they're, if their center or their guard, you know, is, is, is mediocre because that's going to be a good matchup. And so um, as far as an analysis thing goes on one or the other, there's value to a guy who can kick inside, but not be if he can't win outside, I'm not taking him. Um, okay, so let's move forward to wide receivers. All right, so our last position of the day that we're going to kind of go over here is wide receivers. For me, number one and number two are actually really close. Um, I have Jackson Jackson Smith and Jigba um, as as my number one, and Jordan Addison as my number two. To me, they're both great route runners. They're both athletic, but not overly athletic they're both just kind of well polished wide receivers um if they if i had a chance at either one of them i don't know ask me on a tuesday ask me on a wednesday i may i may choose differently each day um i like them both a lot though um number three is a guy who i think the combine is going to matter for a whole whole lot and that's at perry um out of wake forest at perry's had amazing production these last two years but he's not getting very much buzz because people don't know how he's going to run at the combine. And, and, and they kind of question his separate, his ability to separate at the next level. If AT Perry can run the uh, Juju Smith Schuster or T Higgins, like four, five, two, like just even simply as that, then he's going to go in the second round and be a very successful wide receiver at the next level. And the very successful wide receiver, number two, he'd be awesome. I think opposite of Travis Kelsey as another big, either big slot or even on the outside uh, just to take pressure off of Kelsey, kind of the same way that Juju Smith-Schuster did this year. Like Juju Smith-Schuster isn't an overly tall wide receiver, but he's a big-bodied wide receiver, and he still fits that big wide receiver mold. Um, number four, I have Quentin Johnston, who's kind of roundly being hailed as the number one wide receiver in this draft. Um, I think that when I watch him, there's times where he lacks attention to detail, there's times where he struggles to separate and there's times where he struggles to bring in the ball. And I think a lot of that is a concentration issue. I think he's a very talented wide receiver, but for me, every I, I've tried to like him because he, he fits the profile of what you want in an NFL wide receiver. But when I watch him, I just, I just can't fall in love with him. Like he's like, I come away thinking, yeah, he's good. He's good. Um, and maybe that is the best in this wide receiver class because there's a lot of guys that profile, 
as like that fast shifty slot receiver guy who are who are good but not great and then as far as big wide receivers go there's just some some good guys um and number five i got zay flowers i think he's a playmaker you get him the ball in his hand in space he's a small wide receiver he's not going to be able to line up on the outside for you um but coming in out of the slot you get him on a quick slant or you bubble screen or jet sweep or a little quick out and get him the ball in space and he's going to be able to pick up yards after the catch which we love we know andy loves just getting the ball in playmakers hands in space like the chiefs have, have have damn near led the league in yards after the catch like the last three seasons like the chiefs just live for yards after the catch and say flowers would be a yards after the catch monster in the Kansas city chiefs offense so those are my five wide receivers this man loves at perry that's that's my that's my takeaway this is an at perry boy right here um you know you know you're exactly right at perry He's, he profiles much different than what the Chiefs really have at receiver right now. He is more of a catch radius, big go up and get it guy. He's got that background, basketball background. Um, I, I believe he was at the East West Shrine Bowl uh, these, a couple weeks ago as well. Played pretty well there. But yeah, the the athleticism, the speed, that, that's going to be the question there. He prof, profiles as your traditional X receiver. Uh, overall, I, I think you know we're, we're pretty close in alignment here. Uh, for me, I've got Jordan Addison at one. You look at what he did at Pitt and then compare it to what he did at USC. He he screams, you know, bell cow receiver that can kind of go and get a volume of passes. He can play on the outside. Yes, there's some separation questions with him. I don't worry about that in an Andy Reid offense specifically. I do think that, you know, if he was playing in a less creative scheme, that could be an issue. Because of the limitations of Jackson Smith and Jigba, I've got him at two uh, rather than one. I think overall, as far as the best player, um, he he reminds me a lot of Amon Ross St. Brown as far as how he just gets open in open space. You know, he finds the the open cushion in his zone so well. He would be, him on a scramble drill with Mahomes would be just perfect. And we know that Andy would leverage him well in the slot. I, I think right now for him, that's the only thing separating, you know, his limitations as far as lining up outside versus inside. So that's the one reason why I have him at two rather than one. I've got Quentin Johnson at three. The, the concerns there are just the the struggles against press coverage, the speed, what's it going to look like at the next level. He's had some inconsistency with contest, contested catches, which is not ideal for a guy like him. But also, he had Max Dugan throwing him the ball. We talked about that a little bit last week. Um, for me, then, I have Safe Flowers. Again, like you said, terrific with the ball in his hands after the catch. Uh He can play slot or outside. I really like the athleticism. For me, a guy that when I read about him and when I look at him that just screams Kansas City Chiefs, it's my number five and it's Keishon Butte. I feel like everything you read about him just screams Andy Reid. He's a, you know, jet sweeps, can get the ball in his hands on a bubble screen, outside, inside, speed, yards after the catch, lateral agility. This guy just screams Kansas City Chiefs to me. He seems like the type of guy that Andy Reid would love to get in this offense. He seems like good Kadarius Tony insurance. He feels like a player that they can develop into running a more refined route tree. That's one thing that I think the Chiefs and who knows, maybe this was just on Tyree Kill rather than just their development. But the Chiefs have had a track record of taking a player who was a limited receiver and more of just a playmaker and developing into a receiver. McCole Hardman, 
I, I'm not necessarily sure. I, I don't know if I ever really saw a, a drastic step forward with him as a receiver as far as running a complete route tree. But Butte's got that ability, and if they can get him to take that next step as a route runner, I feel like they could have a legitimate wide receiver one on their hands. Now, there's some off-field off the field concerns with him. Um, you can look that up. It's rather erotic, um, what some of the allegations were with him and why he didn't finish the season with LSU. Uh, but I also feel good about those type of things. The Chiefs always seem to have at least one or two question marks on the roster as far as character goes. They've not strayed away from that, and in the past, that served them really well. I mean, Travis Kelsey was that player at one time, right? Um, obviously, he's not now, but that was the concern at the time. So those are my top five. You heard that here, ladies and gentlemen. The Veach season, Chiefs Kingdom number one erotic draft podcast. Hey, look, look right it up. They're, they're just allegations. Just allegations. Okay, I did not agree up. to be on that, but I'll just say that. <laughs> okay, okay. All right, moving on. Nate, who you got at wide receiver? Yeah, just want to mention, I haven't seen Zay Flowers, Joshua Downs, or Xavier Hutchinson yet, so I don't have them on this list. They very well could be by the end of the process. Number one, Jackson Smith and Jigba. I know there's questions about his speed i i don't really care like, i honestly don't care what he runs next week um people are like well he's only a slot option but yeah he's really good in the slot like i, I don't care like that's fine with me um the way he runs routes the way he navigates space coverages helps his quarterback out he's basically like a tight end playing in the slot so people are much you know way too overthinking him number two and i know nobody else will have this guy this high jonathan mingo wide receiver from old miss he, besides FAU, is probably my second favorite player in the class. And I, I don't understand what everyone else has seen that I'm not. He's a six foot two, 225 pound, like built wide receiver. Not, he kind of looks like AJ Brown in terms of like a size. They both have the Ole Miss, obviously. And like, I, I think it has a lot more to do with their offense. Like, their quarterback, Jackson Dart, is just very limited at this stage of his career, throwing just concepts overall. So they would put, you know, Mingo on the outside and just have him run like short, like routes with RPOs. But anytime he was allowed to run like actual routes where maybe a play was designed for him, it worked great. He's explosive off the line of scrimmage. His speed going off the line of scrimmage is strong. He had some releases. Um, you know, he's not maybe the guy that would go up and get it like a big wide receiver, but he's really strong hands with that profile and can bring down catches like over the shoulder. I, I I could be wrong if he tests poorly at the combine, and maybe I'll have to re- revise this. But he's also a very good blocker. That's also the thing. Like they would put him like as a wing, like off the ball tight end, and have him like block defensive ends, and he was very good at that. So I I just love Mingo. I can't go on him forever. Number three, I have Quentin Johnston. Um, it's size and speed. I, I know there's some questions about that style of offense in the Big Twelve and how well it translates to wide receiver. But Johnson's like a true X. Like he's someone you're going to put on line of scrimmage. He's going to beat press coverage. He's going to win, um, you know, contested catches. He's going to win vertically. He's a true X receiver for me. Don't have a lot of questions about him. Four, I have Jordan Addison. Very good vertical route runner. Not just in speed, but he also is like a genuine, like he sets up his vertical routes well. Um, I still think there's some development in his underneath tree, but that's okay. Like when you have the speed and when you have the vertical route running ability, you'll be able to find a role in the NFL. And number five, another guy I'm really high on is Jaden Reed, the wide receiver from Michigan State. Um, he was a fun watch, too. Uh, you, you know, a def- definitely a little undersized and doesn't have, like, the overtop explosiveness like Jordan Addison. That's why I have him lower. In terms of, like, an overall route runner, he's quite good. He can beat press. He can win from a, different, a bunch of different alignments. He reads coverages well. Good route runner. Um, he's someone that I think is going to go a little bit higher than people realize. Like, I've, I've seen him kind of on, like, round three, round four, but... 
I actually think once the NFL gets eyes on him, they're going to notice like he's actually a lot better. Uh, made a couple of really good like over the shoulder catches too. So I, I'm a big fan of Jaden Reed. Overall, I'd say this wide receiver class isn't great. Um, I wouldn't say it's bad. I just wouldn't say it's as good as it's been in years past. Not really a blue chip talent. Don't love round two, but there are a lot of different options. And um, certainly I'm a little more unique in my rankings than other people, but I'm okay with it. Yeah, I'm here to support your Jaden Reed support. Um, I'm, I'm retweeting your your support for Jaden Reed. He's looked really good in the Senior Bowl. Had some big impact returns um, in practices as well. He's a guy that I think is going to just keep climbing boards. What he brings to the table is just it, it seems so. It's a skill set that seems so repeatable at the NFL level. And you know, I, I think for the Chiefs, that there's. Even though Kadarius Tony had a huge return, the injury concerns with him, I think that they'd like to get him off of that and focus on being a, a receiver predominantly. That that makes a lot of sense for him. So I completely agree. Um, you know, Marvin Mims is another name that feels a lot like could be a Kansas City Chief. Um, even kind of a day three guy. Uh, I'm a big Puka Nakua guy. Uh, I, I've liked what I've seen him. Just seems like a guy who knows how to get open. Um, really versatile player. Great at the catch point. Um also, I just I'm a huge fan of like every every elite quarterback's got to have their small little white shifty guy. Um, so Puka Nakua, come on down. So going back to Jaden Reed for a second, I'm here to quote tweet his retweet <laughs> and then also comment that Jaden Reed looks so smooth coming in out of his breaks. He he looks effortless as a root runner. I I am 100% endorsing the Jaden Reed selection here. I think he's awesome. And then also going back to Jonathan Mingo, if we were listing out my top five favorite wide receivers in this draft, it, not who I think are the best, I would probably put Jonathan Mingo on there because the guy is just a big, strong guy who can catch anything over the middle, right? You know, and yeah, maybe there's some questions that are related because of the type of offense that they ran, but he's a guy that I think is going to be better in the pros than he was in college. Like he's a, he's a guy whose best football is still ahead of him, and so 100% also endorse Jonathan Mingo without a doubt. All right, so we're moving along here. We're going to kind of wrap things up here in a, here in a few minutes, but we're going to kind of do a couple of things really quick before we go. And first thing is we're going to do the game of the week. And the game of the week, gentlemen, is a little game that we like to call MFK, which stands for Mary, and then the F, usually stands for something else but in this case we're going to make it more family oriented and it's going to be flip a coin and then the k usually stands for kill but we're going to have it be for cross off the list or he's not on my draft board so we'll each take a position and and we'll go we'll, we'll choose the one that we want to marry who we want to be a long-term building block for our organization or flip a coin we'll take a swing on them or cross them off the list we don't want them on our in, in our organization um nate we'll let you choose which position you want to go with first off the people we've previously mentioned offensive tackle edge or wide receiver mfk which position do you want and who is it um let's do edge to start and let's do i'm trying let's do fau nolan smith and I'm trying to think of someone that would be kind of around that like end of first round range um well, we could do Lucas Van Ness. We'll, we'll do that. That'll be our third option. So you're not going to draft Lucas Van Ness? Oh, I didn't know I was going to. I thought, okay, um, sorry. So, so you're going to marry FAU? Yeah. No, I would uh, – I'd probably marry Nolan Smith. He's the guy I got the highest grade on, even even though I love FAU. Like, I, I just – Nolan Smith has got too many good trades. 
Um, I'd probably uh, F. Uh, Flip a coin. FAU. Yeah. Um, and then I'd probably, I guess, like kill Lucas Van Ness. It's not that I don't like him. He's just like the player. I just, in this class, I just, of those three, he confounds me, man. Like, he confounds me. I don't know what to think about him. I, I really need to see combine scores. All right, all right, all right. So, uh, Price, the other two positions that are remaining are offensive tackle and wide receiver. Which one are you taking? Well, um, I'll take I'll take the wide receivers here. For me, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna marry. I, I think the skill set that just most translates to the NFL. Who's the player that has the highest floor? It's Jackson Smith and Jigba. He's a guy that I, I could see. I think he's going to be a great NFL player and can. It might be scheme proof a little bit too. Um, for me, flip a coin. I am going to flip my coin on a player that we've not talked about yet, Jalen Hyatt. Uh, Jalen Hyatt has a skill set that is extremely interesting. The vertical speed is an element, like, at worst, I think that he's just an MVS replacement. A player who, you know, is able to do some things when they have the ball in their hands. I've not seen the contested catch ability that MVS displays at times, but also then again, MVS can't catch anything that's not directly above his head. So who knows? Um, so Jalen Hyatt's going to be my flip of coin, and I'm crossing off Rasheed Rice off my list. He's a guy that I've seen going as early as the late 20s. Uh, you know, the level of competition at SMU was always a question. Really kind of struggled to do anything impressive at the Senior Bowl. It, it just feels like he's a guy that at times people – want to build a lot of hype around and the athletic profiles there, but he's just never put together a, a body of work that says this is a wide receiver one or two in the NFL. All right. All right. There we go. So then I'll take the offensive tackles and I think that I'm going to marry Paris Johnson Jr. I think that he's the best left tackle option in this draft. And that's what the Chiefs need most at offensive tackle. Um, I'm going to flip a coin, and, oh, man, this is really hard. I'm either going to flip a coin. I'm going to say I'm going to take a chance on Broderick Jones that he's going to be able to develop to handle power a little bit more, and that athleticism is going to pay off um, as a left tackle prospect. And then to cross off my list, I'm going to cross off Peter Skaronsky just because of the length issue. Um, as talented as he is, got to have the arm length to play to play on the outside for the Chiefs and so I'm crossing off Peter Skaronsky even though he may have been my flip to coin where I flip the coin and see if he can overcome the length issue um, okay so last but not least we're going to run through some quick things that we like to call sleepers of the week 30 seconds to each of us Price Carter who is your sleeper of the week and why should the Chiefs fans look out for him running back Keaton Mitchell out of Eastern East Carolina uh, when this guy moves and gets out in open space, he remind, he gives me shades of Jamal Charles. Now, he's not Jamal Charles in the tackles, but he has a gear that not many players have. He seems to glide where other players chop. You know, Isaiah Pacheco punishes the ground when he runs. Keaton Mitchell uh, caresses the ground as he moves. He had 1,300, or 1,300, geez. He had 13 touchdowns this past season and over 1,500 yards total. Uh receiving and catching he's a weapon out of the backfield the one question is just going to be can he pass protect uh but he's a guy that i think one team is going to be very very happy and if he's used in the correct way he's got shades of tony pollard all right all right there we go keaton mitchell chiefs kingdom be on the lookout all right nate who you got who's your uh, sleeper of the week for the chiefs player well, chiefs fans should be looking out for it's funny we were talking about guys who play inside out because that's a guy, a guy I'm picking this week. Keon White from Georgia Tech. Um, really enjoyed him. 
can seamlessly play three technique, four technique, five technique. Not a guy that's probably going to play defensive end a lot outside of first and second down, like obvious rundowns, but someone that I enjoy because he can actually play both spots like well. So he's certainly going to be someone that I bet the Chiefs target. And yeah, I, in round two, round three, Keon White would be a very good draft pick in my opinion. Awesome, awesome. And I'm going to go with Central Michigan edge rusher Thomas Incombe. Remember that name, boys and girls, Thomas Incombe. He's 6'4", 260, played in the MAC this past year, but dominated. He had 11 and a half sacks, 19 tackles for a loss, one forced fumble that he returned for a touchdown. The guy is awesome in run defense. He sets the edge well. He There's nothing that this guy can't do. I know he played at a small school, but this dude pops on tape, and he is just a bona fide stud. And I will bang my fist on the table for Thomas Incombe all day long. So those are our sleepers of the week, Chiefs Kingdom. Last but not least, Nate, thank you so much for being with us. You've literally taken this podcast to the next level. We love having you on here, buddy, with all your insight. Get Guest spotlight, who's another guy that you love? Your favorite player, hit us with him. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. And, you know, we talked about a lot of positions today, a lot of guys I love, but I had to go with one nose tackle before we go, and it's Siaki Ika from Baylor. I believe in the NFL, the most undervalued position is nose tackle. I think that we're going to see nose tackles go up more and more as teams have to play, you know, more like shells, zone coverages, two eye safeties. Got to have a nose tackle. That's what I always say is like, we all, we all like to talk about two eye and stuff. But if you don't have a nose tackle, you can't execute that scheme. Ask the 49ers um, or even the Eagles. So he got really, really big. Um, obviously, like the lower body strength kind of shows up, how he let the leverage, the size, but he adds a lot more than that. He's kind of dynamic as a pass rusher. Like he has a good first step for a nose tackle, really quick hands, can win either shoulder, obviously wins with power. His flexibility at that size is honestly insane. Like the pad level he can reach for a guy that big, he's just an immovable object in the run game. And if he continues to develop as a pass rusher, I think he's going to be just one of those guys that like, I, I just genuinely believe like Vita Vea is like one of the most valuable players in the NFL. That's like not a quarterback. And people think that's like insane, but like what Vita Vea does or what he at least used to do for that Bucks team. Like it's just, it helps everyone out so much. So I want to draft a nose tackle at 31. I'd be okay with it. Cause it's going to help more than just the nose tackle. It helps Nick Bolton. It helps Willie Gay, helps Chris Jones. I, I, I like to say nose tackles are kind of force multipliers in a certain sense. And Ika is someone that can absolutely day one be a force multiplier for the Chiefs. So if the edge board is bad, maybe there's not an offensive tackle you like or wide receiver, like there's no one you love, just take a great nose tackle because he's going to help you year one. He changes the numbers for you on defense. So love Siaki Ika. I love my nose tackles, and he's probably my favorite one in this class so far. Awesome. Awesome. Well, there you have it, Chiefs Kingdom. Uh, Ika, he's the guy. Right there. You heard it from, from Nate Christensen himself. Um, Nate, thank you so much for coming on with us. Check out all of his awesome work over at arrowheadpride.com and his other work where he's hopping on the AP Film Room and other and our other podcasts coming up. Price Carter, as always, my amigo. Awesome work today, buddy. Thank you for being here. Cheese uh, fans, be on the lookout. The editor's show is going to return this week with Pete and John on Wednesday and then also the AP Draft Room with Ron Cobb Jr. on Fridays will be coming out. A lot of content coming out with the Combine this week, guys. So just really be plugged into the website because we're going to be updating it. As soon as we get news on a prospect, we're going to be hitting it and putting getting it up on the site as fast as possible. Um, we need five-star reviews, so please be generous with your comments and your reviews. 
if you feel that we've earned it. Thank you so much for the privilege of your time. I'm Rocky Magana at Rocky Magana on Twitter.com. Uh, he's Bryce Carter at Arrowhead Price, and he's Nate Christensen, Nate CH32. Thank you so much for listening. Price, see us out, buddy. 59 days left till the NFL draft. Boom. All right, Chiefs Kingdom, have a great day. <laughs>